on the Gospel of St. Mark under the title of Good News. Good News is, is a translation of what the Gospel means, the Good News. And he's asked me to speak this morning on the title Good News for Failures. And the passage is Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. It's where Jesus called Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, in fact, the Matthew that's responsible for the first book in the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel. And this event is clearly seen as important because it's not only in Mark, but it's also in Matthew and Luke. In almost identical language, we find this uh, incident, this event, significant event that took place. So if you've got your Bibles, please do look at uh, is page 1004, uh, just the top left-hand side, the call of Levi. And it's just five verses. <clears throat> Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I wonder what you would feel if you were at work and someone that you barely knew came up to you and in front of your colleagues addressed you and said, hey, um, pack up your job now, come and join me. Um, do you think about how it looks in front of your friends, how inconvenient, how, how, what lousy timing it is. Think about your job. Luke, in his slightly fuller account, says Matthew left everything, rose and followed him. Why did he do that? Now, he was a tax collector, and, and let's face it, tax and collectors are never popular. Uh, and ever popular. Um, I remember reading a while ago a list of occupations people least liked. Number one was the parking attendant, the parking warden, and number two was the tax collector, and I think others followed on. And I have to admit that when I see a, a brown envelope pushed through my letterbox, usually a long one, and it's, it's from the Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, I'm far from thrilled it's usually a, a sort of a new tax code, which I sit down and struggle to understand. Uh, often it's they've taken off less tax last year than they should have done, and I owe them something. Very occasionally they owe me something. But we're, we, dealing with the tax authorities is not something we relish. It can be stressful, time-consuming. But in the Palestine of Jesus' day, it was a complete nightmare. 
You didn't know what you owed. No one knew what the taxes were. And tax collectors extracted as much as they possibly could out of you. See, the authorities, the Romans and um, the, the procreator there, would have set a certain amount they expected the tax collector from that area to, to give them. And whatever more he could extract um, went into his back pocket. It was effectively a license to print money, but not it was other people's money, and it was extortion. So it's no surprise that they were hated. Tax collectors and those who worked for them couldn't attend the synagogue. They couldn't give evidence in a court of law. They were shunned by all the respectable people. So Matthew is sitting down at his tax booth at the toll just outside Capernaum. It was the main route. And no doubt with a few burly heavies with him, and Jesus approaches him directly and says those two words, follow me. Jesus wanted him. He offered him friendship. And we read that Matthew got up, left everything, and followed Jesus. Now, there must have been an ache in his heart. Uh, he must have heard about Jesus. Maybe he'd been on the fringes of a crowd and he'd heard Jesus' message. Something much that must have stirred in him, mustn't it? Deep down, he must have despised what he was doing and nearly everyone hated him. But Jesus, but Jesus said, come with me. He wanted him as his friend. A few of you may, I think it's probably only a few, will remember Jenny T. Um, she was here uh, when this church formed about 14 years ago. And she worked for British Airways. She took a year out. And she felt increasingly uh, God was, wanted her to change course and to join the Anglican Order of St. Francis. And step by step, she followed that course and taking the different vows as and when she was ready. It meant selling a house, seeing her mother and her friends less often, selling her car, losing her independence. Most of the things we just take for granted, don't we, in, in modern life. We, we last saw her four or five years ago near Birmingham. She was working there um, in a deprived area among immigrants and getting alongside those in real need, helping them in various ways, showing God's love. And we spent a few hours with her and it was absolutely clear that she was content, she was happy, she was peaceful, knowing that that's what God wanted her to do. There had been a cost, but she'd gained more and given more. Now, sadly, um, she died of cancer, I think, just last year. And she was in her 50s. Uh, but she'd had those last fulfilling years of her life. And she, gave, she left some money for the Ivy Bridge work, which she'd always had a great interest. Uh, she'd always had a great interest in. Hers was a life worth living. She'd, God had called her. So Matthew had a decision to make in a moment of time. He of all the disciples had the most to give up. Peter, John and the rest were fishermen. If all went pear-shaped, they could go back and, and get a job and the fish would still be there and the old trade was there. But for Matthew's decision, put him out of a job forever. He would never get that job back again. 
the money that had meant so much to him was gone. Those things seemed to pale into insignificance compared with the opportunity to be with Jesus. Now, in current management speak, we talk about a cost-benefit analysis. Is it worth doing? And in investment terms, you, you talk about and you look at the risk and reward ratio. Is it worth investing? Is it worth it? But to Matthew, there was no hesitation. It was so worth it to be with Jesus. And when, when he decided to follow Jesus, Jesus gave him a new life. Um, he not only belonged to a new group, he belonged to the Son of God. He was not just accepting a different way of life. He was an accepted person. He'd got clean hands. He could look each look people in the face and, and not feel ashamed. But the other thing that's really interesting is that Jesus gave Matthew a new purpose for his skills. Now, it's not likely that any of the other disciples were particularly handy with a pen. Galilean fishermen were not known of being greatly skilled in writing or putting words together. But Matthew had those skills. It's likely that he had an orderly mind and a systematic way of working to be able to have done his job properly as a tax collector. And that allowed him in time to record and be responsible for that first lovely book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. He lost his job but was given a bigger one. It, what a turnaround he had. And we see God often plant gifts and skills in our life, often long before perhaps we respond to him. But those skills can be sharpened when we allow God into our lives to use them. I think we should always view ourselves in that regard as, as work in progress. On Friday, um, we, we, Davina and I, we had, had a really lovely day with some old friends, Chris and Claire Dinsdale. Um, some will remember them. Claire was an original church warden when we, um, the church reformed here those years ago. And Chris had great pastoral gifts, um, getting alongside, helping, encouraging others, particularly in the business community, running businessmen's groups. Anyway, they, it became clear to them that, that God was calling them into full-time Christian work. And he meant giving up a good job as a chartered surveyor in a well-known London firm, selling up their house in Twickenham, moving to Birmingham, where for the last 10 years they've led a very effective outreach into business, the business community and men's, particularly men's groups. Now for us, knowing them very well, we could see how effectively the gifts and qualities they had fitted the exact place that God had for them. And they were just content in knowing that and that they'd followed what Jesus had wanted. Now, it needs to be said before we all get very frightened that um, responding to God in most cases doesn't involve a change of occupation or location. Um, but for most of us, we find that our values and it's our values and our attitudes that change. 
or it's sort of the same but different. Our focus and our, affect- and our affections are redirected. So, just into this story as we're coming through it towards the end. Matthew's conversion caused clearly a lot of interest among his tax-collecting friends. They were curious that Jesus could be drawn away from his wealth by just two words, follow me. And the best way Matthew could see to introduce his old friends to Jesus was to have a dinner party. Um, Perhaps not quite like John and Rachel's, which uh, we've enjoyed, Uh, but this was a big, big event. Uh, And... um, he, he invited them round for a meal so that they, these, they could all meet Jesus. Luke's account says, slightly fuller account, and Matthew made him, that's Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others sitting at table with them. They were eating and drinking, talking, no doubt, laughing. And it seems clear Jesus was very comfortable with these people. Uh, there was no pretense, no airs and graces, uh, but in a sense they were real people. They knew how other people regarded them. But Jesus was really happy to be with them, and you almost get the sense reading between the lines that Jesus was just really enjoying himself there with them. But then there's always something happens. The religious police turn up, the Pharisees, And what mattered to them was a strict keeping of the law and the rules and regulations. How could Jesus be possibly mixing with such people, tax collectors and sinners? You were a sinner to them if you didn't follow exactly their scribal law. So the man who was a thief and the man who ate pork were equally sinners in their eyes. So this lot were certainly all sinners and should have been shunned. It's interesting in the new uh, international version which we look that sinners is in uh, brackets or inverted commas. It was sinners of, of the rules and regulations. I think that's trying to make that distinction. But Jesus would have none of it. I'm just thinking today, human nature probably hasn't changed a lot. I think... There is an innate legalism in most of us. Um, We find it easy to look at others and disapprove of what we see on the outside. Um, We think, well, that's wrong. That shouldn't be happening. We wouldn't have done that. Even if we don't express these things openly and just those are our thoughts. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus brings hope and new life to those who know they have failed. And we're all in that place. I've started this year to read the the Bible in a year thing that HTB put out, and it's a free app. I've actually learned what an app is, by the way, so that's encouraging, isn't it? And I downloaded this thing, and there's a really nice little pricey from um, Nicky Gumbel, um, and you know, we were now through in mid-February, so we're through January and into Exodus. But the thing that struck me again and again was these great men of faith, the vast majority in Genesis, and it had mucked up big, big time. 
you know, adultery, deception, a bit of murder. I mean, you think, wow, I mean, really? And yet uh, they came back, they threw themselves on God's mercy, they experienced his forgiveness, and they went on with God. In the Greek Orthodox Church, there's a traditional prayer, which I understand is repeated three times at the beginning of each service, and it says this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and then three times. And in every service, and we've done it this morning, and John led that, we, we say a confession, a prayer of confession. In this way, we regularly come before God and admit our failings, whether they're big or small, and he readily forgives us and encourages us to move on. So lastly, how did Jesus view this all? He says this, and reading it, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, the person for whom Jesus can do nothing is the person who think, thinks he's so good that he doesn't need anything done for him. And the person for whom Jesus can do everything is a person who's a sinner and a failure and knows it and longs in his heart uh, for a cure. To be self-righteous is a very dangerous position to be in. To have no sense of need uh, is to have erected a barrier between us and Jesus. But to have a sense of needs open the, the door to following Jesus and a life of faith. This is the good news for failures because we've all failed. We're all there. For a number of pe people, there comes a moment um, when it all happens, it all falls into place, our eyes are opened. For others, it's a more gradual process. But the invitation remains down the ages from Jesus. Come, follow me. Just a short prayer reflection. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that you continue to call us, whatever condition we're in. Lord, we ask you to help us to hear your call, whether it's for the first time or uh, you're calling us back, uh, to respond to your love, to uh, see you clearly and to follow you. Lord, we ask it in your name. Amen.